Mark chapter 5 and verse number 1. Now this may be a, mess, uh, a story that is familiar to many, but maybe not. But there are some wonderful applications that we can uh, gain from it. Verse number 1, the Bible says, <clears throat> And when they were come over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now don't uh, ever just uh, take the dark spirit world as just something light. There's something very, there's something very real about it. And you need to be very, very careful that you keep any of these kind of evil things out of your house as believers. And of course, if you're here and you're not a believer, that you just don't open yourself up to the dark world. There really is a dark, dark satanic world and a spiritual, spirit world, and it's real. And this man here got wrapped up in it. We'll continue reading. Uh, verse number three, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now these are the evil spirits that are speaking out at this point here. And Jesus responds to them, verse 8, For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. And there, now there was a night that, excuse me, now there was there nigh under the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out. And entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousand, and were choked in the sea. Now this uh, here number of uh, somebody that uh, has a, a pig farm, you're talking probably talking about a half a million dollars, really, on today's standard. That was uh, quite a, a loss that these people encountered. Verse number 14, and they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And when they went out to see what it was that was done, they came to, to Jesus and to him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. In other words, he asked Jesus if he could go with him. Now look at verse 19. 
Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. Now look at verse number 20. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. Wasn't that a wonderful story? Amen. Of a, of a maniac, the maniac of Gadara, who got saved. I want to pull something out, verse number 19 and 20 particularly. But after he was saved, the Bible said that Jesus said, I want you to go home, home to thy friends. He said, I want you to go home to thy friends. Now, you know, today here at Victory Baptist is Family and Friends Day. And, you know, we, we don't have anything to do with our family that we were born into. Amen. That's God-ordained. God but we have a whole lot to do with the friends that we have. And I'm telling you, I have a blessed, blessed person. Some of the most uh, rich and uh, just um, incredible relationship that I enjoy in this world is with my friends. Deep, deep friendships. And I'm glad that you're here. And listen, your friend that might have invited you here today wanted you to hear this great message about this conversion of this maniac man. And then the command that God gave him when he wanted to go with him. Remember, after he got saved, the town people said, you know, get out of here. We don't want you. So the only place he could go was to Jesus. And Jesus said, no, you can't go with me. I want you to go to your friends. And this is what I want you to tell them. Amen. Let's listen today to the message. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come to you today so thankful and grateful for your abundant blessings upon our lives. What a blessing it is to meet here today under this uh, beautiful place, in this beautiful place, Lord, here in America, the greatest land in all the world. I'm thankful for it. And we're just free here still, dear God, to preach the gospel, to preach the truth of God's word. We know it's not like that in a lot of places around the world. But you've given us that here, and we're thankful for it. Now, as the word of God goes forth, we pray for every one of us here today that we'd listen intently, that we would uh, desire to make application. We don't want to be just hearers of the word. We want to be doers of the word. And we pray, Lord, those among us that may not know you as personal Savior, we pray that the Holy Ghost of God would bring them to a place of repentance and salvation today. Maybe there's a backslider here. His life really, he's living, it's a believer, he's living his life, but he doesn't count anything for God. He's a poor testimony. We pray that you'd convict him and bring him to a place of, of uh, repentance and restoration. And then those of us, Lord, the others, we pray that you just, all of us need our faith to be strengthened. So help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, I ask it all. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you so much for standing with me. You know, personal testimonies, and that's kind of what we're looking at here in this fifth chapter of the book of Mark. It's really a, a testimony of a, of a pretty, pretty bad character that got born again. And personal testimonies are so inspiring to hear when we 
hear about how somebody got saved and where were they when God found them and, and how, what is exactly their story on how they came to receive Christ as their personal Savior. And then when God, wherever God it was that God found the person, then how was it that they grew into what they have become today? Those are very, very encouraging for everybody to hear stories of personal testimonies of salvation and growth. And they're precious because they're real stories of the struggles with conviction of the Holy Ghost and with the struggles of faith uh, that some people have in the Word of God. And you see, God uses testimonies. As a matter of fact, God can use your testimony, your story of how you got saved. Your story uh, of how you got born again, and God can get the glory of it. Amen. There are six ways, as a matter of fact, six ways that God can use your testimony and how God can get glory out of your testimony if you are a blood-washed, born-again believer today. Number one, when you tell your testimony, it creates a desire in the hearts of others to be saved. When you're able to share your testimony, your story of how you got saved, I believe that God can use it to create a desire in the hearts of others to be saved. Number two, a personal testimony takes away any objections that somebody might have. Well, I don't believe that. Well, I don't see it that way. Well, you may not believe it and you may not see it that way, but I'm telling you, God saved me. So you see, it takes away objections. Number three, it causes people to examine their own lives. Because you see, there are some people that they go to a denominational church that's not biblically sound, and they're just told, now you're 12 years of age. You learn these catechisms. You learn these statements. You learn these responses. And then we're going to ask you questions, and you give your confirmation, and then everybody knows in the church your faith has been confirmed, and now you're confirmed. You're a part of the church. You're a member of the church because your faith has been confirmed. But nowhere in the Bible does it talk about that. It says Jesus, as a matter of fact, said, you must be born again. So somebody that uh, has come from a mainline denominational church and, you know, at the age of Three, or maybe they were, uh, they were sprinkled when they were infants, or maybe they, were, uh, uh, they uh, made their confirmation when they were 12 years of age. And when you talk about a born-again experience, they don't know anything about that. So it causes them to examine their own lives. Number four, a personal testimony destroys the works of the devil. Amen. Because he seeks to keep people in bondage, in darkness. Amen. But you see, when you're able to give your testimony, your story of how you got saved, uh, it destroys the works of the devil. Number five, it prepares people to receive the gospel. Amen. I mean, when people are, give their testimony and they show how, how it was that God worked in their hearts, they came to that realization that they're a sinner before God. And because they're a sinner, they're, the, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And it's not just a physical death. 
but it is a spiritual death. Amen. The Bible says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death when they realize uh, because of my sin, I just don't die, but I'm going to have to face an eternal death in hell, the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And then number six, a personal testimony of salvation. It always gives glory and honor to God. Now, the man that we're looking at here in Mark chapter number five, uh, I mean, listen, he is the worst of the worst. I'm telling you, he is the kind of a person that, that the kids were warned about. Amen. You better go to sleep. If you don't, the maniac of Gadara is going to come get you. Rah! You know, I mean, I mean, he was literally the worst uh, of the worst. I mean, he was, uh, I mean, just a terrible person. And uh, I'm sure uh, back in this time when we're looking at here in Mark chapter number 5, I'm sure on a quiet, dark night, you could probably hear him screaming and crying out in the night. He was a lonely man screaming out in pain. The Bible says in verse number 3, it tells us everything sad and bad about him. The Bible says, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Can you imagine having to live among the tombs, to live in a graveyard? But he was a demon-possessed man, and people had tried to capture him and bind him, but because of the strength of the, of the, of the evil forces that lived within his body, he would break the chains and break the fetters and run back out into the wilderness. What a sad, sad place to live, to live among the tombs. Amen. But even worse, what a sad state of being uh, to live in. Nobody knew how to help him. Nobody knew uh, what to say to him. I mean, as we look at this story, he was nothing but a helpless soul. He had no answers to the problems of his life. He lived among the dead. Uh, oh, we know according to the Bible that they captured him a couple of times and they chained him up but it didn't last long it's kind of like today uh, people that have problems and the uh, people the, the secular world tries to socialize them and they try to put them on these social campaigns and they so-called recognize uh, a higher being but they're never introduced to Jesus oh I remember years ago I was holding a meeting in in uh, Tennessee and the preacher divided us up and he said, now pray for me and Brother Oliver because we've got a special visit today. He said, we're going to go visit a woman and she claims to be a witch. I thought to myself, why do I always have to get these? Amen. But anyway, we got in the car, prayed, and we went to the door there and we knocked on the door. And there was a lady there, long blonde hair, black dress. I thought to myself, oh no. Well, she was just a social worker, amen. She wasn't a witch. And, uh, and she had a handful of knives in her hand, a bundle of knives like that, standing at the door, black dress, long blonde hair, handful of knives. I'm thinking, what in the world? But then she was a social worker. And the lady who was inside claiming to be a witch had made statements to some of her family members that she was contemplating suicide. So this uh, secular social worker went into her house and took away all of her knives. Now, folks, if that's the only way we can help somebody, then uh, that's not a whole lot of help. Amen. But he lived in a terrible 
place there and nobody could bind him. And uh, they'd capture him uh, and chain him, but it didn't last long. He'd break the shackles and to the wilderness, the Bible says, he would run. And you know, today they prescribe mood-altering, mind-numbing drugs as a crutch. But today, uh, listen, we're talking about this maniac man, Mark chapter 5. He doesn't need any mind-numbing drugs. Uh, he doesn't need pot. He doesn't need liquor, whiskey, wine. He doesn't need any of that the CBD nonsense. He says, hey, listen, today he's going to meet Jesus, amen, who is soon going to hang on a tree and die for his sins. And then three days and three nights later, he's going to raise from the dead. Amen. But today, oh listen, this man here, I mean things change for him. Amen. The Bible said he's sitting in his, after he meets Jesus. There, I'm looking at the verses here. Oh, let me find it here. Uh, uh, look at verse number 14. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And when they come, uh, when they came to Jesus and to see him that was possessed with the devil, he was, uh, the Bible says, and had the legion, he was sitting, amen. He was sitting, sitting at the feet of Jesus. You see, when you get born again, something begins to change. You want to be around God's people. You want to sit. You want to hear. You want to learn about the things of God. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was clothed. Amen. When you get born again, you don't want to take your clothes off. You want to put clothes on. Amen. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was clothed and he was in his right mind. Oh, listen, that's what happens when you get introduced to Jesus. Amen. He begins to change everything about your life. Now, let's just imagine what's going to be happening in the next couple of days from this point. Amen. He meets Jesus. Evidently, he receives him as his Savior. Evidently, that Jesus imputes his righteousness upon him because of his faith uh, in him. And all of a sudden, now his life has changed. Uh, and I want you to see what's going to happen in the next couple of days. When he Remember, the people, local people said, we don't want you. Uh, we, we want you to depart out of our coast. We don't want you here. Oh, listen, we didn't mind it too bad when you was a wild, wicked, uh, maniac man up in the wilderness. We tried to bind you, couldn't, but now that you got uh, this so-called religion, we don't want, leave our coast, depart from us. Wouldn't it amazing when you get a good dose of the gospel, you don't have to get rid of your drinking friends. I guarantee you, you start talking about Jesus, you start talking about the gospel, you start hum humming gospel songs, you start singing gospel songs, you won't have to get rid of your friends your friends will get rid of you like a hot potato, I guarantee you. You get a good dose of salvation, amen, your worldly friends, they won't be hanging around you too long. They'll get rid of you. All right, let's kind of go back to this man. He said, I don't have any place to go. Jesus, can I go with you? And the Lord said, no, 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 you're not going to go with me. I want you to go home to your friends, and I want you to tell them, Tell them the great things that the Lord had done for thee and had compassion on thee. Now, I want you to think um, for just a moment, what in the world would that look like? Amen. What, what would it be like if this man here, if he was, uh, we know that he was this maniac, demon-possessed man in the wilderness, and now he gets redeemed by the, by the Son of God, and he gets a brand new life, and now Jesus say, takes this maniac man, and he says, no, no, you can't go with me. 
I just want you to go home to your friends and I want you to tell them what has happened to you. What would that look like? Oh, listen, I can imagine that somebody's face would pop up into his mind. Who would it be? I mean, he says, I want you to go home to your friends. I mean, who is the first image that comes to his mind when Jesus says, go home to your friends? I guarantee you some image popped into his mind. He saw somebody's face. We don't have any, uh, any indication in the scriptures that his mom and dad were still alive. They could have been, but we don't have any indication in scripture. But we know that somebody, somebody's face popped into his mind. I wonder who it was that he saw. Amen. When you got saved, who was it that you thought about? When you got born again, I've got to tell my wife about this. I've got to tell my husband about this. I've got to tell somebody about this. Well, no doubt it happened that way in this man's life. What did he want to say to them? Jesus said, I want you to go home to your friends and I want you to go tell them. What was, what was he going to say to them? What was his demeanor like? Was he going to be, you know, just uh, average or was he going to be full of excitement about it? Oh, here's a thought on friendship because he said, Jesus said, I want you to go home to your friends. I want you to go home to your friends. Here's some thoughts here about friendship. Gallup performed uh, many tolls, uh, many polls on friends and friendship and says this. The average number of friends that the, Amer the average American has, they came up with, was eight. Uh, just uh, ten years ago, it was nine. And ten more years ago, it was ten. But Gallup found that older Americans have more real friends than young people do. That's not really surprising to me. Amen. And Jesus said, I want you to go home to your friends. Oh, listen, what was he going to say to them? Who was going to pop up in his mind? What was he going to see? Whose face was he going to see? You see here, the story here in Mark 5 is about a maniac, the maniac of Gadara. He meets Jesus, and Jesus saves him from his sin. Jesus redeems him from the penalty of sin, and one of these days from the very power of sin, amen, and the presence of sin. And then Jesus sends the redeemed maniac back to his home, to his old friends, and he says, I want you to tell them how great things the Lord had done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. Oh, listen, we know that today we've got best friends and we've got good friends. We've got work friends. We've got family friends. We've got friends that we have recreation with, uh, you know, local community things. There are friends that we have on social, uh, social platforms and communities and business. No doubt we have friends that are lost friends and others that are lonely and others that are sick and hurting and friends that are maybe locked up behind bars and neglected. I wonder who it was, the first one. What was the face that came to his mind when Jesus said, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord had done for thee <coughs> and hath had compassion on thee. Who was the first one on his list? And what was he going to say to them? Now just imagine as he walks down the road that takes him to the home where his mom and dad lived, the street where he grew up on as a boy, before he got into trouble and uh, before he got into all this, this dark, dark life that he was living. 
And as he walked down that road where he grew up on as a boy, where his mom and dad lived and that he grew up and all the friendships that he made, I just wondered what was going on in his mind. What was, what was he thinking about? I wonder who the very first friend that he was going to have to say, I just tell you right now, I've met, I've just got to tell you something. Something happened to me. Something happened to me a couple of days ago. And I'm different. I know that when I was here, you knew, you knew all the trouble that, I was, that I'd gotten into. You know the dark side of living that I was involved in. You, you heard the stories about me living among the tombs. And I'm telling you, I just got to tell you, just a couple of days ago, I met Jesus in Gennesaret. And I'm telling you, Jesus has changed my mind. He found me at the dungeon of misery and he took me to the mountain of mercy. Oh, listen, uh, you can imagine maybe one of his friends would say, uh, uh, well, well, I remember seeing you and what, what in the world has happened? It was a horrible thing that you went through and, and I remember seeing you change into that. What has happened? What happened to you? How did this happen? And all the maniac man could say was, I met Jesus. It was Jesus. Uh, just like when the people had come from the town and saw him, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was clothed. Uh, that means before this time, he was uh, uh, unclothed up in the wilderness, uh, uh, living that crazy, wild, uh, dark life. What happened to you? He said, I'll tell you what happened to me. Jesus happened to me. Oh, you see, your testimony is so powerful. People need to hear your testimony. God will get the glory out of it. But you have to have a testimony. You have to have a story of salvation. We're looking at a man here. He had a testimony of salvation. Oh, listen, his former friends and work partners, they're asking, what in the world has happened? What is going on? They're all amazed at him. When they hear, one friend hears, a, tells another friend, and that friend tells another friend. And then he tell, goes to his work friends and, and all these different... And they, what in the world has happened? The Bible said he began to publish in the capitalists the great things that Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. Oh, that the question just keeps coming up. What has happened to you? What has happened to you? And I would just have to say these maybe are some of the things that he would say to his friends. When they said, what has happened to you? Maybe he said... Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Savior, He released me from the shackles of sin, and I have been set free. Oh, I'm telling you, friend, I may, I may not understand, and maybe you're keeping it a secret to people, around, uh, your friends or maybe your family, but maybe you have a dark secret of some kind of substance abuse back in your life, and nobody knows about it, and you can conceal it. But I'm telling you, God knows about it. And you know what it's doing to you. And this man knew all about that. And he says, when they asked him, what has happened to you? Jesus, the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Savior. He released me from the shackles of sin. And I've been set free. I've been forgiven of my sin. Jesus, he freed me from the bondage of unclean spirits by the regenerating power of the Holy Ghost of God. Oh, I'm telling you, listen, this man's testimony was powerful. Uh, we could just imagine from the details that we have about him living in the tombs, about break, breaking the chains, about cutting himself. Uh, we know we can read stories about those kind of people. What would he say? I think he would say something like that. Listen to this verse, 
for the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What has happened to you? They asked him, and he said, I've been set free. I have been forgiven. I have been freed from the bondage of these unclean spirits all by the regenerating power of, of, the, of, of the Holy Ghost of God. Amen. What would he say? What would he say? I think he might say something like this. Jesus found me with the chains of ignorance wrapped around my mind and Jesus snapped them with the power of his words. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And there are people that get to the point where they are so wicked and they have such a dark side that they say, I am hopeless. And the, it's, it's what the Bible calls a mental stronghold. It is a deception that the devil puts over people. And he says, you can't, you, you can't ever get rid of that. You're a, you're a dope addict, you're a drunk, you're a pervert, you're, you're an angry person, you're this or that. It's just, you're, you're, you're hopeless. But the Bible says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen. He says, casting down every imagination and every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. He said, I, when they said, what happened to you? What happened to you? Maniac man. He said, Jesus found me. He found me with the, cha with the chains and shackles of ignorance wrapped around. I didn't know. I didn't know who Jesus was. I didn't have any idea what Jesus could do. I had no understanding of his saving power, of his redeeming power. I didn't know. I was ignorant of it. But when I met Jesus and I believed in him and put my trust in him, everything changed. Oh, the Bible says we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans chapter 6 verse 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What would, it, what would they say? What, would the, what, what happened when they said, what happened to you, maniac man? Maybe he would say this, number three. I used to be a cutter, but now I'm a worshiper. I've met cutters in my lifetime. I don't understand it. I don't understand how that can happen, but I've met people that are cutters. I've seen their arms with scars all up and down their arms. And that's what he was. He was a cutter. But he said, they said, well, what in the world happened to you? Maniac, what happened to you? Maniac of Gadara? Well, I think he'd just simply say, I used to be a cutter. Oh, he had so much darkness in his life. I used to be a cutter. But now I'm a worshiper. Reminds me of John chapter 4, verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now right now, the, the Christian world is being sold a counterfeit worship. 
Worship is not psychological. Listen, God doesn't need smoke. God doesn't need black ceilings. God doesn't need black lights. God doesn't need a light show, a leg show. God does not need a gyrating rock band flashing. We're talking about the God that spoke the world into the universe. To me, it's insulting to think that, that people think that God has to have all of that nonsense to engage in worship. Amen. You know what? You know what? When the ushers picked up the offering, when they received it, that's worship. Amen. I'm telling you what worship is. It's when the bus workers get ready on Saturday to go visit the poor. Amen. And give them the gospel. That's what worship is. Worship is when the church uh, corporately or individually gathers for prayer. Prayer and worship. And this man said, I used to be a cutter, but now I'm a worshiper. He said, Jesus, the town people, they don't want me. Can I go with you? No, you can't go with me. Oh, Jesus, I wanted to go with you. Well, that's what the average Baptist would have done. I want my way. Jesus said, no. I want you to go home to your friends and tell them how great things the Lord had done for thee and had compassion on thee. When, the, when his friends came and said, what has happened to you? I think he might say something like this. I once was tormented by the legion, but now I have been redeemed by the Lord. <laughs> Amen. 1 Corinthians 15, verse number 57. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen. I, was, I once was tormented by the legion, but now I have been redeemed by the Lord. Hallelujah. And let me just say something to you. The only way that God knows how to save us, according to the scriptures, is to save us eternally. The Bible says in John chapter 10, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck thee out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, he comes into your heart, your life, the Holy Ghost of God. He indwells you, amen, and you are saved until the day of redemption, amen. The Bible says, I've given to them eternal life and they shall never perish. The Bible says, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. When you get saved, you're in God's hand and no man is able to pluck thee out of my Father's hand. When you get saved, I'm talking about born again or like we like to say in the country, born again amen when you get born again brother you're in amen you can't jump out jar out jiggle out slide out slither out climb out crawl out hallelujah glory to God you're in I give unto them eternal life when they said what has happened to you what would he say I think he'd say well I used to be tormented by the legion but now I've been redeemed transformed by the Lord when they said, what has happened to you? What would he say? Well, maybe he would say this. I don't understand it all. But now I know what it's like to be possessed by the devil 
and accepted by the devil's crowd. And now I've been pardoned from my sins and I have a personal Savior and now I'm rejected. Oh, listen, I promise you, you take true, biblical, salty Christianity into the workplace and it's going to cause some ripples. Amen. Boy, we need that to happen today. We need it to happen. We need people to take a changed life into the workplace. The Bible says in John 15, 19, If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Biblical Christianity is never going to be popular in this world, never. When his friends came and said, what has happened to you? What has happened to you? What would he say? Well, maybe he'd say this lastly. By all respects, I guess you could say, I used to be a monster. But now, I'm a missionary. <laughs> Praise the Lord. John chapter number 5, verse 24. Verily I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Now that's his testimony. We can just imagine from the things of Scripture when they asked him, what happened to you? What happened to you? Very easily he could have said these things. What happened to you? Can you give your testimony? Well, I was preaching on this. This happened years ago in Washington State. I was having a revival meeting. It was a day kind of like what we're having today. And I mean, it was a packed out crowd. I mean, I was preaching to a packed out house. Well, not a packed out house, but a packed out house. Amen. <laughs> and it was just full. And I, I don't remember the sermon that I preached, but I was talking about how important it is to share your testimony with others. And then I said, I want y'all, I want y'all, and I was t telling this to the church, I want you to share your testimony uh, with how you got saved with your family. Bring up, get them down here at front. Come on down. Get, get, let's make some prayer huddles. And if your family's with you, get down here and have a prayer huddle and everybody give their testimony. If they said, what happened to you? What would you say? Well, we found out what this man possibly would say with the details of the story. If somebody said that to you, what would you say? What would you say? What's your testimony? And I said, come on down here. <clears throat> and it was full down there. It was full. People were coming. It was a sweet time in the Lord. And then I noticed a friend of mine with his wife. The church had four sections. And they were sitting like right over here. And I noticed him talking to his wife. And I just could pick it. I could just pick it up because it, I was just looking across the crowd and I could pick it up that, uh, that it wasn't going well. And uh, after it was over with, they told me the story. He said, sweetheart, tell me your testimony. And she didn't say anything. And then he said, uh, sweetheart, let me hear your testimony. And she didn't say anything. She didn't even look up at him. And she said, uh, sweetheart, do you have a testimony? And she broke down. I mean, just weeping out loud. And I remember them, they came to the, came to the, went to the aisle, came to the altar, and I mean, that lady just boo-hooed all the way to the, <laughs> to the mercy seat, amen. And she prayed to receive Christ as her Savior, and she got born again and walked all across there, walked up. I could remember hearing her just booing because she had religion. All she had was religion. 
She had just been to church all of her life. Nobody ever pinned her down about her testimony, her story of salvation. And as a matter of fact, I saw a post of them, I think, celebrating like 45 years of matrimony. I saw it on, on social media just a few days ago. Uh, the husband who led his wife to the Lord that morning at the altar. Amen. And then Jesus said to this man, now go home to your friends and tell them your story. Well, if you're going to tell them a story, you have to have a story to tell. Now, what if I said, now don't, don't worry, I'm not going to do this, all right? But what if I said to the ushers, lock the doors. Nobody leaves until everybody comes up here and gives her testimony. And don't worry, don't worry, I'm not going to do that, amen, all right? Uh, do you have a testimony? Well, we looked at a man that had an amazing testimony. And folks... The Bible says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not cast out devils? Have we not did many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. So there are people that they think they're going to go to heaven, but they're not going to make it because they don't have a testimony. They don't have a story. Now, folks, that is the most important thing in life for you to establish. Your testimony. How you came to know Christ as your Savior. Now, it's friend day and family day. And if you want to enjoy your friendship for all eternity, you've got to be born again. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you know that a person that will not be honest will never, ever get the help that they need. Now, you can believe the lies that people say, or you can believe the lies that you make up. And you can become a pathological liar where you believe in your own lies. And I'm telling you, a person that lies about this, they're never going to get the help that they need. Now, here's a, here's a question. Now, I want you to be honest. Don't lie about it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 8, all liars shall have their part in a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. Now, here's the question. How many of you could say, Brother Oliver, I don't have any doubt whatsoever. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. I can go to a time and place where I know I was convicted about my sin, and I have called upon Christ to be my Savior. I can go back. I have a testimony of salvation. Now, be honest now. Remember, if you're not honest, you can't get the help that you need. If you're honest about it, you can get some help, and I'm going to help you. How many say, Preacher, I can go back to time and place. I know I've been born again. I know I'm saved. I know I have a testimony. Would you hold your hand up as a testimony of that? You're saved and you know it. God bless you. Now, that's wonderful. Now, there's no way in the world I can see everything that went on in a crowd like this. But the Lord knows, and you know, and you're here. And a friend, no doubt, asks you to come here, or a family member. And we're looking at this man where Jesus said, I want you to go home to your friends and tell them how great things. And when he told them, what would they say to him? We've tried to, with the details of the story, see possibly what he would say. Amen. And I'm telling you, they're all true. You see, you are created in the image of God. 
Just like you're made up of body, soul, and spirit, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. You're not just a higher animal. You are created in the image of God. And you are not just going to perish. You have a soul. And that soul is eternal. You are created in the image of God. And God has given us a way to spend eternity with Him. Jesus did. He did walk on this earth. He lived. He died. He rose again. And He's coming back. And He gave us a book that tells us all about it. Now I want us to stand together right now with our heads bowed and eyes closed as we prepare for an invitation this morning. <clears throat> Thank you so much for listening so well.